Hey, Bobby, stop bringing strange animals home. Ladybird might get excited, and that's not good at her age. Gosh, Hank, you may want to employ me for this particular creature. Uh, Dale, just because it's as big as the house and makes strange noises doesn't mean I want it dead. Ah, why'd you have to step on the lawnmower? Darn you, Hank, you get big dragons just to ruin Con's nap. Take away what I call cop. You hear that, Bobby? The last thing I want to see is if that dragon breathes fire. Mainly because of my large shed full of propane and propane accessories. Get it out of here now. I've got the poison ready to go, Hank. Just give me the go-ahead and everything within 100 feet will die. Wah-ha-ha-ha. Hey, man, talking about that dang old exterminating gas stuff. I don't want to breathe that in no way. It's no bad for your lungs, man. Kills everything from charters out. Now, now we're just with some silly dragon sitting on the lawn doing much, man. Let it be till it goes away on its own. Let us have another beer because it's blocking the sun. That's just no good for my tan, man. Uh, Bill, I don't like dragons sitting on my lawn. It just doesn't look good. Plus, if it didn't eat Bobby, that probably means it wants something a little bigger, and I'm not looking to be dragon food. Sorry, Tad. I've got to go away for a while. This dragon is telling me how bad the world is, and I can't help stop the bad people. Ah, Bob, Bobby, Peggy, help me get down before he shoots someone with that large bazooka. Bye, Dad. I'll be back when the world is safe. Ugh, that boy ain't right. There are RPGs long forgotten beyond that which is known to the modern gamer. It is a catalog vast as space and timeless as myth and legends. It is the middle ground where panelists from RP Gamer discuss computer and console RPGs from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. This is a dimension of adventure beyond your imagination. This is the RPG Backtrack. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Philip Willis and Mike Meeky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 40, Have Gun, Will Travel by Dragon. On today's podcast, we're talking about Panzer Dragoon Saga. And I've got a trio of mics to help me talk about this game that I've never played or even looked at. First off, we have Mr. The One, The Only, Mr. Mike Meeky. Yes, I am here, and I own the game, and that makes me a very rare bird indeed. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And Mr. Mike Cunningham, a.k.a. Max Storm, how are you doing, sir? I am doing well. I'm not really a rare bird, but I think he's kind of a strange bird after hearing that introduction. <laughs> and la- I own the game, too, by the way. <laughs> and last but not least, Mr. Michael iPhone Apps, how are you doing? Good. I also own the game, but it took me 12 years to acquire. Three three mics on no one show. I am not Mike, ever. Yeah, absolutely. Very much. <laughs> <laughs> on one show, and all of them own a copy of Panzer, Dragon, whatever it's called. What are the chances? If we had had, you know, Michael Tidwell on here, that would have been four Michaels all owning Panzer, Dragon, Saga. Apparently Ooh, it runs wow. in the name. Apparently. Yeah. Well, they say these things happen in three, so that's probably why Mr. Tidwell couldn't come. It just wasn't meant to be. Hey, you know, you know what they say: great mics think alike. Oh, ah, ha, ha, ha. oh, 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 o
before we uh, before we actually talk about this uh, delectable RPG, though, we got a little bit of uh, classic news on the plate today. Uh, we got some re-releases that our listeners might be interested in. First up on the PlayStation Network, uh, Square Enix has been very hard getting some of its games put up there. Uh, Parasite Eve uh, is up there. That's my per, one of my personal favorite games. Did y'all play that one? Much, I didn't care much for the game itself, but I love the soundtrack. Oh, the soundtrack rocks. I got that on my... Wasn't that a Yoko Shimomura soundtrack? Yes. I I have yet to hear anything bad or even mediocre from her. I'm not a big fan of hers. Not that I hate anything she's done, but I think Parasite Eve is one of the ones I clearly remember and enjoy. And I like... You know, I, I love the soundtrack. I still got it on my iPod to this day, and I got it on the shuffle list and whatnot, so that's always... That's always a good listen. Um, I I enjoyed the game. It was it was different. I mean, back for me, it was one of the first RPGs I played that was kind of outside of the whole fantasy, uh, you know, realm, go kill dragons and goblins and orcs type of thing. Um, and I liked the way that you could kind of run around, stop action for a minute, choose your targets. That, that was all kind of neat. I got stuck in a couple of places, and until I could get online with facts, I wasn't really able to actually beat the game though. <laughs> Which was kind of frustrating. And some of the camera angles really suck in that game because it uses that old classic Square Enix where they've got these painted backgrounds and your character just kind of blends in like Final Fantasy VII. But some of those angles really sucked. Yeah. You could like run around the corner and get attacked by an enemy. Um, or sometimes the enemy was attacking around the corner and you just knew you were dying. That, that was always a blast. But Then we have uh, Xenogears. And Which, uh, uh, I was about to say I was waiting for the groan. Uh, I've heard you uh, heard you talking about how much you love Xeno Gears, <laughs> Xeno all the way around. Isn't that right, Mike? Apps. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a big fan of anything Zero Xeno, except maybe the new one that we haven't gotten yet. Xenoblade. I wish. It doesn't seem to be really like any of the other ones anyway. Well, how how can you be a that fan is... of something without playing it? That's curious. He I, might I, be a fan. Yes. Ah, okay. I didn't mean I was a fan. I meant I it's an unknown it could happen. Yes. I right. loved I loved Xenogears, not because I thought it was like a stellar RPG, but I don't know. There's something about game plots and it holds true with like T V shows too and movies and things like that. Unless the story's willing to do something totally off the wall and just mind just a big mind screw. It's almost always so predictable that it's like, oh yeah, we were watching like we were watching Castle last night, and like within the first five minutes, I was like, okay, she did it. And an hour later, I was right. And you know, it's not. I don't know. It's just I like games with plots that just make your mind just totally blow your mind. And even if they don't make sense, I still like it sometimes, depending on the game. Seems like a... I've watched a lot more movies with predictable plots than played games like that lately. But usually, yeah. if the plot at least does something interesting along the way, you know, good dialogue, good character interactions, whatever, that can make up for a predictable plot. If it doesn't, then it's lousy, and I forget about it immediately. Also, <laughs> another great soundtrack with Zeno Gears. Fantastic soundtrack. Yeah, it does have a great soundtrack. Alan, Yasunori Mitsuda works, isn't it? I'm a big Mitsuda fanboy, so... Of course, the game takes, what, 75 hours or something? I really couldn't tell you. 
too long ago. My mind doesn't remember how long I was playing games back then. I didn't keep track of time back then because I didn't care how long I was playing games. And unlike <laughs> today when, you know, time is a precious commodity. Um, yeah, and I think I think a lot of it, a lot of the appeal of Xenogears had to do with the story, but you had to really stick with it for a while to get to that point. If you were one of those players that like to be able to jump in and, and expect the story or the gameplay to pull you in the first dozen hours, Xenogears doesn't do that. But a lot of the reviews I read and looked into indicated that had you stuck in it for the long haul, uh, there was definitely a lot of plot elements and stuff that, that picked up uh, from one of our official reviews, uh, Jake Alley, whoever that was way back in the day, um, said, for our, for the RP gamer looking for a wonderful story, Xenogears is a must-have epic 80-hour tale full of memorable moments and interesting characters. Those who prefer a lot of fast-paced action, on the other hand, should steer clear. And that was kind of a general okay, consensus. 75, 80, that's in the same vicinity. What's that? Yeah, seventy-five, eighty, right? Um, but um, but Mike Minky, uh, Mr. Minky, you might be very interested to know that our very own Otterland gave it a three point five out of five. Oh yes, this is very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm certain this is that where you insert his reasoning is uh, beautiful and logical in every facet. Yeah. So I played it. I I was one of those. I was one of those short attention span RP gamers that played it for about twenty hours, and it just didn't. It just didn't capture me. Um, but that's I just think me. the gameplay is what really turned me off. I wasn't a huge fan of the battle system yeah. and the combos. When you start getting more complex than I really care about with juggling button presses and things like that, a lot of times I just don't really care. And I think that's what happened to me with the gameplay. I, I finished the game, but. Can't remember how much it was on the PlayStation Network. It was either six or nine bucks or whatever have you. So if you're looking for a, a very, you know, long, uh, in-depth, uh, you know, RPG, and you want to know what some of the cultic hype is all about, that it looks pretty cool. But if you got better things to play, let it sit on the back shelf <laughs> and buy it later on down the road at some point. I'm sure it's not going away anytime soon. That game could really use a remake. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. yeah the graphics even on the PSP just you know, kind of really show their age. And the second disc, pretty much all a story told while you're sitting in a chair. Hardly very, very <laughs> little interaction in the actual game itself. Which is a tradition, I understand, that's carried on by the PS2 series that we'll be talking about next show. <laughs> but we won't, we won't, we won't spoil our don't own show. Spoil we only spoil yeah. games. We don't spoil our own shows. So Let's move there on to go. another PS1 guy. I think Legend of Mana is also out, is that right? Yes, it is. Uh, correct, as of right now. Drool over that one a little bit, Apps. I want to hear what you think about it, because I bought it back in the day and was like, what in the world is this? This is not... <laughs> I, I, I hated Secret of Mana anyway, so I wasn't a big fan. Okay. But, you know, I, I was... You hated Secret was, of Mana? I did. I thought Glenn was and, the one uh, uh, No, both of us hate it. And oh, okay. um, back then, I was working at EB in the mall, and I was buying pretty much every RPG that came out, and this was at the sweet time where you could return games if you didn't like them, even if they were mm-hmm. opened. Yeah, that was and, my favorite time. Wow. Oh, I loved it, I especially loved it. when I worked there and got a 10% discount off everything I bought. So I just buy up every RPG that came out, and I bought this <laughs> one, brought it back, and was like, what in the world am I playing? <laughs> I didn't, you know, this was back in the day before I really knew about the details of developers and design teams, and had I known then what I know, know now, 
and had seen the name Kawazu on it anywhere, you know, it would have made more sense to me. So I noticed you were not here for our last show in which it's Yeah, so why, why weren't you here for the last show? Oh. Oh, you mean the one before the backtrack or the blast from the past show about saga games? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I only like so- Final Fantasy Legend three, the one that you know most saga fans hate. So the worst one, <laughs> the best one, the only good one, <laughs> the only one worth playing. <laughs> uh, I think those uh, might be fighting words to certain Kawazu fans around here. That's true. Now, without going into too much detail for this kind of episode, give, can you give us a little bit of detail about what you enjoyed about Legend of Mana? Sure. Uh, well, first of all, this is not the kind of game... If, if you're the kind of person that needs to complete every single part of a game, do not play Legend of Mana. I, this is kind of the sort of the game best enjoyed, just, you know, you make your own map, so it's best enjoyed kind of just fooling around with that, just going with the flow exploring, just kind of, you know, enjoying the world. It's, uh, I'd say it's kind of a relaxing game, actually. You know, it's got a great soundtrack, great art style, just... That's another Yokoshimamura soundtrack, isn't it? Uh, I believe so. That woman gets around. (laughs) It's it's the kind (laughs) of game that's best, just put away your walkthroughs, put away your guides, and just kind of play it. Yeah, you're not going to get, you know, if I remember correctly, because I did play this one, you're, as you're playing the game, you're putting pieces of the world together. You're getting, uh, I forget what they were, but you were able to get certain things that you would use and put on a map that would form areas that you could go and visit and do different things. And on one hand, it was kind of cool because it had this open sandbox feel, but it really lacked the cohesive overall story plot, you know, arc that you tend to kind of come to expect, especially from Square Enix games. Um, it felt more almost to me like a, um, I don't know, what's a good one for it? Sims or uh, something? I don't know. A saga game. <laughs> yeah, saga. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but yeah. it, you were kind of, I mean, one minute you were raising fruit in a garden, the next minute you're on a side quest for some you know, spirit or tree thingy or whatever have you, the next minute you're, you know, you're, you're seeking out uh, elementals or something. And uh, yeah, it was just something you just kind of relaxed and you kind of just went along and said, hey, what's new in this world? But, yeah, if you're one of those completionists or you're looking for the, you know, the, the big thing that ties us all together or something, it, it, it doesn't bring that to the table. And I think that 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 fact divided a, a lot of people. I mean you definitely saw a big division between people who really liked the game and people who didn't like it. It was something that totally polarized the audience. Oh, absolutely. That's, I actually didn't like it originally and you know eventually some Kawazu fans convinced me to give it another try and I kind of took it took it at a you know different pace and enjoyed it a lot more do you all have a cult is there a cult of Kawazu <laughs> that's around that I don't no, know they, about no there aren't that many were you listening to the last okay. backpack the one where we got Gaijin on here to celebrate the cult of Kawazu I have not seen that I have not listened to it yet it is still Good. on my playlist 
one one thing I'll I'll say and then we'll we'll, we'll move on. I, I, and let's somebody wants to talk about the soundtrack, but real quick, the visuals are just absolutely gorgeous. If you I hear oh, yeah. a lot of people talk about how uh, you know there's there's a, there's an audience out there that isn't a big fan of 3D graphics that misses maybe even the Super Nintendo graphics as Final Fantasy VI or whatnot. This game is the pinnacle of, in my opinion, of 2D cartoony RPG type of graphics. It was just very very gorgeous. Good contrast, just gorgeous artwork. I mean, one one of the reasons I like just running around just to see what I could, you know, just to see what was going to come up next. Absolutely, and you know, obviously, it's aged a lot better than many other earlier PS One games because of that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I hate three D PS One games; they make my eyes bleed. But this is one. <laughs> this is one you want at least have a problem looking at. So for I think that one was only six. Uh, is it was it six? You said you bought it today. Was it six or ten bucks? Six. Six. So for six bucks. And on eBay for a physical copy, it's what? <laughs> uh, you can probably More get than it six. six. More than six. <laughs> you could probably get it for under 20, maybe over 20. I think it's gone up a little bit. In I the think past I looked for it once. It was hovering around 30 to 40. Uh, yeah. It, it varies. There's some there's some buy it nows ranging anywhere from 20 to 60 bucks, depending on, I guess, what condition it's in or something. Just kind of pulled it up really quick. So, hmm. well, for for six bucks, for give six, it a try. Yeah, for come six. <laughs> oh, and this did come out late enough in the PS One life cycle that the Sony policy against two D games had time to go away. Mm. Yes, and that when Sony said that two D was bad. Nobody wanted to look at it anymore. Didn't they bring that back for the P, for the early days of the PSP? Probably. Mm. They did a no port Sony policy back then. Or at least uh, Sony of America did, because they didn't let uh, Suikoden 1 and 2 come over and Breath of Fire 3, both of which were uh, quick and dirty ports. I think interested in bringing uh, Shin Megami Tensei Devil, Devil Summoner. Summoner over, but it didn't have enough new content, so it was just a port. Couldn't. Uh, that's probably why we didn't get the uh, Tales of Eternia PSP port either. Hmm. Um, no, it's just because Namco hates you. Oh, that t- well, I mean, it came out in Europe. Namco hates North America. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> to wrap up our trio of classic re-releases, oh, I'm not wrap up, the, another trio of classic re-releases. And it's a trio if there's more than three. There's like, it's a, du- it's a duo <laughs> so of trios. It's a trio the sextet. Yeah, it's a, no, it's a duo of trios. So that was the first trio. This is the other trio. We had three games, uh, three classic games released on GOG, which are very noteworthy, uh, if for no other reason, because we did uh, a big um, RPG backtrack on the Might and Magic series not that long ago. Uh, Might and Magic 7 and 8, as well as Heroes of Might and Magic 4, have all been released on GOG. I think they're about six bucks each. Uh, 7 is, in many people's eyes, the pinnacle of the Might and Magic series. I played 7 to death. I absolutely loved and adored it. Eight was, if you listen to the backtrack, you can go back and listen to it in the archives, but it's kind of where the uh, series really started to, to slip and fall a bit. And heaven forbid they re-release nine. If they release, <laughs> if they release nine on GOG, they're, they're really <laughs> fooling themselves. Unless they patched it up some way magically, because it was really kind of broken. Um, Heroes of Might and Magic 4, uh, kind of similar to Eight, and, and many people fell. That's kind of where the series kind of fell on its face a bit. But I, I personally like Heroes of Might and Magic 4. Um, it's not three, but it's it's got its own charm that it brings to the table. The AI is not very smart, but it was still a, a fun romp. And for six bucks each, 
these guys are pretty much no brainer and they'll play on your netbooks or you know anything at all these days so seven is especially just a really in-depth uh, game and i don't know if it comes with the hint guy or not but it's easy enough to find the the fact and those those might magic games are more enjoyable when you have a fact close by because some of the things are hard to find so um, go back and listen. We won't we won't spend any time talking about those games because you can actually just go back into the <laughs> RPG Backtrack archives found at rpgamer.com and uh, listen to that show about Might and Magic. And if you find any, if you think you have any news related to classic RPGs such as re-releases or anything like that, or maybe some new mods uh, on an old RPG that you would like to hear about, feel free to send me an email at jcservantrpgamer.com, and we'll be happy to pass it along to our audience on the show. But we've delayed long enough. The audience is sitting on the edge of their seat with their breaths held. They're dying to hear about Panzer Dragoon Saga. And that's what we're going to give them when we come right back after this wonderful musical selection that Mr. Mickey has picked out for us. Did you enjoy that track by Sayori Kobayashi? Hope so, because the whole game has very, very interesting music that mostly sounds almost South American. Mm. I liked how you sang it for us. I have haunting. an excellent voice that I can pass through the normal channels and go into ranges that only dogs can hear. And this... <laughs> <laughs> this music comes from Panzer Dragon Saga, developed by Team Andromeda, uh, published by Sega, and this is of course Sega! a Sega for your for your for your Sega Saturn system, which I know every single one of our listeners has their very own <laughs> console sitting there at home. This was released in North America April thirtieth, nineteen ninety eight. This is a single player RPG experience rated T for teen. And the awesomeness of this game is so great. It came on four CDs because one CD could not hold it. Yeah, that just shows you how many cinemas there are in the game. If it's if it can be completed in under fifteen hours and it's still on four discs, think think about this for yeah. a second. Final Fantasy VII is often hailed as, in many people's eyes, as the greatest RPG of all time. But it was able to be fit onto three discs. This one took four. Awesome. Totally and awesome. reviews at the time, awesome. a couple of reviewers did say that they preferred this to Final Fantasy VII, and I would definitely, I would say that also with no hesitation whatsoever. Well, that's not uh, a tough challenge, really, when you got <laughs> Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> <laughs> I love it and all, but a little overrated. Just overrated. Just a little. Sorry. Um. So. 
Let's start this off in true RPG backtrack fashion. Who would like to tell us about the story and the plot of this title? All right. Do you want to do it, Mr. Apps, or shall I? Uh, I'm not good at remembering plot points, so you go for it. <laughs> All right. The beginning of this game finds a young man named Edge, who has been helping to excavate some ruins on the behalf of the Empire, and it turns out that the latest excavation has uncovered a seemingly woman deep underground, and along comes a fellow named Crayman, who is the commander of the Black Fleet on behalf of the Empire. He slaughters everyone at the excavation site and attempts to slaughter Edge, but through a feat of sheer luck, Edge survives. Edge comes away with a desire to avenge his comrades on Crayman, and he is able to do this because a dragon comes along, which just so happens to psychically connect with him so that he can ride it and use his gun while atop of it. Just so happens. Well, (laughs) this has happened twice before and will happen again, actually, in the other Panzer Dragoon games that are not RPGs. His attempt to, eventually he will find that Azel, the woman released from that excavation, is on the side of Crayman, mostly because she was awakened by him and will obey the orders of anyone who has awakened her from thousands of years sleeping. And she commands her own dragon, the Atom dragon, with a which you will fight three times in the course of the game, and it is a fairly intense affair, each one. He will also find that the Empire, which was initially stunned by Crayman actually turning traitor and leaving a bomb that blew up its entire capital, is also out there looking for weapons to conquer the world with. So that Crayman has actually initiated a civil war of sorts within the Empire. And he will fight both sides, and eventually this will take him to the Tower, which is but one of apparently hundreds littering the planet built by the ancients, whose ruins are constantly being excavated in the course of the game to find technology that can be used in the current day. The tower either protects the people of the world and allows them to survive against a natural backdrop that is hostile to the point of destroying everything, or it is a coddling device that will make humankind unable to stand up for itself. And both sides get a little bit of a chance to have their say in the course of the game. And... There's there's your basic plot, which... And you just saved a lot of people $100, because now they don't have to play the game. They, I mean, that's a good summation. Yes! Once $100. again... That's cheap. That's what I got. $100? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I got $100 eight years ago from somebody who didn't have a picture listed on eBay, which means I was taking a big risk. But it paid that's off. That's true. I, I, the bids I'm looking at right now are still three days off, so... Do uh, do a search for completed auctions. Yeah, that's what, that's what we're here for at RPG Backtrack to provide you with so many spoilers that you, the audience, won't go out and spend money and buy these games. That that's really... in the case of this one acquiring it will definitely require that you spend a lot of money. Yeah. Yes, it will. Well, you know, dragons aren't cheap. I mean, come on now. <laughs> Have you ever, have you been Apps. out to Walmart? <laughs> Mr. Apps, you've been playing it recently. Do you have anything to add to the plot synopsis I just gave? Uh, no, everybody covers it. Um, it's a pretty linear plot, which is kind of normal for games from that era. 
There are a few things you can do extra-wise as you get close to the end, though. So it's not completely on rails the way some games of more recent vintage have been. Like the on-rail shooters that, you know. Ah. Well, I did not play Panzer Dragoon 2 Zwei, but I gather it had branching paths. It did. And I did play... It actually had a lot of extra stuff. I did play Orta, which I'll talk about sometime because it ties in fairly closely. So were there any um, memorable scenes? You know, I, I mean, not... I mean, <laughs> you know, the you know in the story that just really, you know, stick yes. in your mind? Or events? Yes. Quite a few, actually. Talk about them. Apparently not for me, because I can barely remember any of the plot whatsoever. Well, again, you played it in 1998 and haven't touched it since. I don't blame you... I don't remember Armageddon, and I watched that around the same time as you probably played the game. Though I don't want to equate the two in any further way, because Armageddon is... um, No, let's not go there. All right. A couple of the cinemas show Edge really isn't that good at hand-to-hand combat when he's away from the dragon. He gets jumped by some Imperial guys and promptly tortured off-screen, but he sure sounds like he's not having a picnic, and... Yeah, that certain that certainly well, shows that he probably shouldn't have been sneaking around a, a place with lots of Imperial troops who don't like him very much. Well, if and you had I, a dragon, why would you ever learn any other form of combat? <laughs> well, considering that this is a cinema and you just have to watch, it's understandable because you don't have to stand there and say, Edge, move! Why are you just dying so easily? Sounds like it sounds like some of that would be much more entertaining had they taken the um, uh, uh, taken that route where you have to press the A button real fast to actually make him move, you know, like action buttons or something, Dragon's Lair style. <laughs> I don't think Don Bluth was available to do animation for this, but the cinemas, most of them aren't that long. I can't think of any that is more than about 12, 13 minutes. Most of the time you are playing the game. Yes, and there is a lot of playing to do. And see, that's one of the bigger reasons that I think it's one of the more enjoyable titles. And, you know, playing it when I did, I guess I didn't look upon it as being like this grand RPG that was just better than anything else out in the day. But I really did enjoy it, and I thought it did have a really good, solid battle system. And that was the one thing that really drew me to it more than anything. And I remember that way, way more than I do the story, so... Well, combat, for me, this time through, I just noticed you get a very good variety of enemies to fight, and every one of them requires you to move around a little bit and think about what you're doing. And yeah, a lot of them do go down pretty easily, but each and every boss fight is different. You'll have to move around a lot, and... Okay, Mr. Apps, I I can explain the battle system. Go for it. (laughs) Well, what they did was base essentially, I don't know how, what black magic they used to do it, but they took the feel of the on-rail shooter games and somehow put it into a somewhat turn-based combat system. So I'll kind of explain the basics. Is You have kind of these charging bars, which looking back now kind of remind me of Final Fantasy thirteen. but, you know, as those <laughs> fill up, maybe that's a bad comparison to make. I don't 
No, no, go ahead. Okay. Fair, but it's fair. As those bars fill up, you can basically pause it, open up a menu, and use certain actions based on how many of those you've charged up. You know, the usual items, special abilities, and you have two different kinds of basic attacks, uh, just like the shoot the on-rails games. You've got the uh, the gun that the character uses and the homing lasers that the dragon uses. Um, and the obviously, lasers are weaker, but they hit many targets at once, and the gun is stronger, but it only hits one thing at a time. Exactly. And... Obviously, in this, and you're not just you're not just sitting around while that's happening. You can you can actually move around in the battlefield. Basically, there's four four, four different positions. Yes, and you know enemies have weak spots in certain spots, or can do more damage to you from certain spots, indicated by a little radar on the bottom. Red is where it's most dangerous. Green is where you're safe from damage, and then I think it's clear is where you might get clear. Hit yeah. Right. So it's it's almost kind it's kind of a simple setup that they do a lot of interesting interesting things with. Um, it's kind of an action tactical setup the way it's yeah that's you know that that's definitely a good description. Yeah, a lot of the battles often find you hanging in front of the boss's most dangerous attack zone. But that's where its weak spot is, and you have to try and shoot it as fast as you can and get out of there before it blows you away. Yep. Exactly. A lot with the battle system is timing and kind of pushing the limit of how long you can stay in those dangerous areas doing the most damage. And you and, know, the, and a lot of the battles do, especially bosses, do change as you go on. They're, they'll change their tactics and make you react to what they're doing. Absolutely. That's why it's a lot of fun to fight Kraymen and Imperial forces because they actually talk during battles to announce what they're doing. <laughs> it's more than – and that's the one thing I remember too is you know the boss fights played a big part in the game. It wasn't just something where you were going around with billions and billions of random battles against pointless enemies. Yes, you still had the random combat from time to time, but – all the boss encounters were a lot deeper. I guess one comparison, I don't know if this is an, a good, accurate comparison or not, was kind of like Skies of Arcadia in the way that the boss battles were really a lot grander in scale. Even if you were doing the same thing, it just seemed a lot more impressive than just your standard back and forth with a cinematic boss. Uh, I, I guess that works if you're talking about airship combat. Combat on the ground doesn't really work for comparison, but I'll buy. Yeah. Um, oh, and the enemies, there is nothing mammalian in this game that you will find at all. Everything looks weird, <laughs> and a lot of them look like fish that are somehow flying. Others look reptilian or insect. Uh, you fight something that looks like a giant flatfish at one point, and it's Kind of ugly. Yeah, um, nothing you fight in this game looks friendly. And that's a hallmark of the Panzer Dragoon series, but it's very unlike pretty much any other RPG I can think of because half the time you're, st- you're going to be looking at something and going, what is that? Is that a sponge <laughs> that's somehow floating in the air? Am I fighting a gigantic dinosaur crossed with an insect? What is that thing? And some of the ancient devices that you activate also look 
noteworthy and unforgettable, which is probably why you have a best Jerry to look over the things that you've killed because there's such a wide variety. You know, and that's kind of one of the best things about the game. It's got a great style to it, even though I don't think the 3D has aged very well. I think it's still it's it's still interesting to look at just because of the monster designs. Well, in flight, it does look kind of clunky, and you can tell that the Saturn is being pushed to its absolute limit. But for me, this 3D stands above a lot of PlayStation games I've looked at from the era. On the ground, uh, that's another story. Yeah. Remember walking through the cave in the village of Zoa to get back and forth between the two halves and watching the wall just chug along at a tiny frame rate? <laughs> yeah, oh, I don't think the graphics were anything that uh, anything that it would ever win any best of awards for. No, but it's not its fault that Saturn was. Well, I don't. I, I'm amazed they actually got what they did out of that thing. <laughs> oh, the interaction is also unique. Instead of just walking up and talking to people, you have a targeting reticle that you. Yeah. <laughs> it works pretty much the same outside of combat as it does in. They and, did what they knew. They did what they knew. Which yeah, is that's absolutely true. <laughs> that's kind of the impressive thing, just knowing that they had gone from making two other Panzer Dragoon games which were on-rail shooters into making an on-rail shooter that is truly an RPG. And it, I mean, that just, that still today blows my mind because I hadn't, I had seen and played kind of the other Panther Dragoons, but I'd never been a big fan of the series. And then um, I guess this is kind of my experience of how I picked up this game is, you know, like I was saying earlier with uh, Legend of Mana, I worked at EB at the time and, was just taking a look at all the games that came in and you know we got this new Sega uh, this new Sega Saturn game and I hadn't really been paying attention to any of the media following it and I picked it up and was just looking at the box and saw you know classic Panzer action fused with deep RPG gameplay and I was like Whoop, RPG gonna try it out and you know, went into <laughs> it with got no it expectations when it was new in the store I got it brand new from a store got a whatever it retailed for at the time plus my or minus my 10% discount and took it home and I still have it and I'm holding it in my hands currently today the same one I bought so I I tried my hardest to find it when it was new you know the but the saddest we'll save thing that for later we had yeah. we had three copies I believe at the store and I remember another one sitting on the shelf for the longest time and oh my god hardly anybody bought it I guess, you know, at the time you didn't really, most people didn't really know it was rare when it first came out. You know, it was just another Saturn game. And the last batch. Yeah. I don't know about that. That, that thing sold out in a lot of places. I guess when you only one. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they, there, there weren't any other releases there. I mean, I think there were just a few releases that year in total. I mean that Shining Force, Burning Ranger, um, dead. Magic Night, Ma- yeah, Magic Night Ray Earth. Well, that that really was the last one, and yeah, that well, was actually the last talk one. Talk about that in a little bit because I actually have a tangent that I want to go off for a little bit. But the targeting sure. reticle. One th- more thing I noticed about that this time through, 
more so than ever before. You can target things both from a distance and up close, and you'll learn something different at both ranges, especially with conversations where if you listen from a distance, you'll hear people talking to themselves, but if you get up close, then they'll talk directly to you. (laughs) And that's another thing that was not too common for console games at the time. Every bit of dialogue in the game is voiced. That's we'll a big change into- from the Final Fantasy VII comparison, you know, the other big title at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even though they didn't dub the voices in English or anything, it still it, it adds a lot to the experience. It adds a lot of drama to those, uh, you know, those cinematics that, you know, the ones in Final Fantasy VII kind of lacked. You know, especially the end of Final Fantasy VII where it's got the dialogue and a little text box on the bottom. I even noticed while playing it this time that it's slightly letterboxed so that the text takes up the black bar at the bottom instead of occupying any of the action on screen. Which is common nowadays, but back then when nobody owned anything widescreen at home, that was unusual. Yeah. Well, I think it's clear that the people that made this game really, really knew what they were doing. Yeah, you can say a lot of things about classic Sega, but not that its developers didn't know what they were doing. Absolutely. Yeah, it's the marketers we can't stand and the the marketing Uh, team (laughs) and the upper management. (laughs) That's some good developers. And and speaking of the the voices, most of the game, uh, 99% of it, is in Japanese, but – the beginning cinematic and the ending cinematic is in Panzerese, that made-up language which was used <laughs> only for the Panzer Dragoon games. And it sounds, what was it, a combination of Portuguese and two other languages, I think? Something I can't like that. that. It, it sounds fittingly weird. That's the best way I could describe it. Well, like considering it, the it, things it, you're it, going to be seeing in this game, that's not out of place at all. Yeah, it absolutely fits with this game and the other games in the series. Well, let's yeah, see. I think, I think I that's one of the said... best things. Oh, go ahead. That's, that's probably one of the best things you can say about this game and the series in general. You, there's really not much to compare it to. Yeah. I, I yeah, pretty much know he's high. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, even 13 years later, there's nothing like it. Now, I talked about Edge a fair amount, and he's your fairly standard protagonist in a JRPG, although he's likable enough. But Azel is a very interesting character, and I think deserves a fair amount more mention. Because she's she's in the shape of a human, but she was created thousands of years ago and a according to her own words, shares more in common with the monsters internally than she does with a human. And her purpose was as a weapon to activate the tower originally. And some of the things she says, particularly in disc four, when you actually get to hang around her for a while are fairly interesting, which I can't sum up too well without just going and finding a verbatim dialogue capture. So I won't do that, but she is a very interesting character. <clears throat> Agreed. I remember that's one of the few things I do recall is as you got to know more about her, it was really kind of an uh, kind of a charming relationship she had with Edge. 
and how that kind of grew between the two of them. It didn't feel as forced as some other, uh, you know, character interactions that you get in other games. Um, you know, there was still some, you know, some of the same cliches that you run into with a lot of the other RPGs, but just the interaction the two of them had was, it was just, it seemed a little more natural than a lot of others that you dealt with. And yeah, the, the relationship between them is pretty much downplayed for a while until she has to help accompany Edge back into the tower. And the tower itself is a very, very memorable location. You go through it twice. Once when you're going up because the Empire is coming along and wants to take it over. And you see so many things inside of it that are currently sleeping. And the Imperials come along and, make, and get in your way a lot, but you don't fight anything of the tower until it does get activated and you go back at the end of the game. And now the colors are different. Everything is active. The things that you saw, which didn't do anything the first time through, now they do things. And it's a re I think it's the biggest location in the game and justifiably so because there are a lot of fascinating parts to it. And along with other memorable locations, who remembers when you lost the dragon and had to accompany Azel on the little floater in the underground ruins? Isn't that around the start of one of the discs? Disc it's, three, yeah, possibly. I remember that. It's at the end of disc two. End of disc two is what I thought. Yeah. Just right around. I remember it being right around the disc change. Um, I don't know. Is an interesting dynamic change in that. Because uh, you'd spent so much time on the dragon, you'd spent, uh, you know, so much time doing just the one thing. So I thought the, you know, the paradigm shift that you had with that, while it might not have been, you know, a, a great part, because I don't really remember it clearly enough. <laughs> it was at least, it was at least nice. a nice change of pace. Yeah, it's a nice change of pace to break things up. Because it's not really a long game. That's one thing, is even though it is four discs, it's not a very long title. No, it is not at all. I I dinked around for about 90 minutes, and I still finished it in under 15 hours this last time. So that encourages yeah. me to go back and replay it now. <laughs> yeah, if you rush, That's... you can probably finish it in 12 hours. I tend to go faster through RPGs than 
most people for some reason. I don't think I'm better at them, but for some reason I have a lot lower playtime. It's it's called you. It's called you. Just press X every time some weird text pops up on the screen, right? Or you hit the star button, <laughs> just go right past that yeah. crummy stuff. Is yeah. that is that darn storyline interrupting your game? I don't know. Yeah, well, I tend to I tend to pay attention to a lot of that, but I don't tend to go out of my way to talk to all NPCs and things like that. That was know? that was our thing with Final <laughs> Fantasy VII uh, when my friends were over watching it and we're watching all the cool summons and the you know the battle graphics. I mean, at the time that was cutting edge, and then you get stuck in a city and people would be talking, and my friend would say, "Dang it, this storyline is interrupting the video game." <laughs> <laughs> we want to see more things get killed with Bahamut, you know, or whatever. Bahamut, yeah. <laughs> so. Oh, another memorable location is uh, Grig Ordig, which is the Imperial flagship, and you fight it twice. Once, right yeah. after the Empire has used its flagship to naturally blow up a town, because it has a, a ginormous cannon in the middle that blows up anything in its path. And then you fight it again after the tower has been activated and monsters have flooded over the lands and have eaten alive everyone inside of the ship. But they're still managing to make a mess with it and destroy everything in its path, so you've got to take it down. And the fight is completely different both times. And it comes right after a nifty sequence where you fly under a burning forest canopy, shooting a whole bunch of uh, green things that apparently keep these nasty, gigantic flowers that blow you away, fastened. So only by shooting those green things are you able to kill them and move along to fight the Grigorig again. See, this oh, is what happens part. when you have somebody that just recently played the game and somebody that played the game 12 years ago. Because <laughs> you remember a lot more details than I do. <laughs> yeah. But that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You are making me, you know, the talk of this is making me want to jump back into it and replay it. It's sitting in my Saturn yeah. right now. So. I need to go and finish it. I've got disc two sitting in my Saturn at the moment. I don't know for sure if I can't remember how in the world the Saturn handles save saving. But, uh, uh, have if, you have you had it unplugged for a while? <laughs> I have. I had to reset my time, so I wasn't okay. sure how long I'd need to go if, you, if, I if you reset the time and it's currently operational then you should be able to save internally uh if it if you have to reset the time again then that means you need to go find one of those uh, those little batteries they're cheap yeah. i got for a dollar at yeah. radio show okay or if you still have your backup ram card that works and in case our audience doesn't know sega saturn can be bought at eb games just run down the street i think they're going for 250 dollars. Uh, grab your own sega saturn's right there right in between the wii and the playstation 3 section so, <laughs> you paid 250 dollars for a brand new saturn you're getting ripped off today <laughs> yeah oh goodness and and, and okay so here's a question. With all these re-releases, I mean, I've seen a lot of the classic, especially Sega titles being re-released as, you know, greatest hit collections on the PS3 or the PSP <laughs> or all that. Has this game not been re-released at some point with all these re-releases? Well, well Phil, let me turn this question back to you. How many of these greatest hit collections from Sega have shown anything from the Saturn? Well, they, they've actually started releasing some Saturn games. That's what I'm saying. I mean, wasn't it that that... that that, uh, they did a Dreamcast collection. Oh, Dreamcast. Recently. Oh, aren't they the same and, thing? And the big, huge Dreamcast collection had four, four whopping four, games. Yeah. Four games. <laughs> four games. And all of which are already available or are going to be available on Xbox Live Arcade. So, 
Well, Panzer yeah. Dragoon, the original Panzer Dragoon was included as an extra on Panzer Dragoon Orta. But, but, but it was only, based uh, on PC. It was the PC yeah. version, though. Yeah, and there is no PC version for either Panzer Dragoon 2, Spy, or yes. Sock. I think the only Saturn games I can think of that have been re-released are uh, that ra- Sonic racing game. Was it Sonic R or something? Yeah. Which was kind of terrible. And uh, Princess Crown was actually ported. That was a straight port in Japan only, though, which yeah. means that it'll never come here because uh, I read somewhere that the source code for Princess Code was lost so that anybody who wants to translate uh, it can't do it anymore. I read that apparently it just runs on an emulator on the PSP. That sounds right. Which, I don't know why they couldn't do that with more games, but... I don't know why they you haven't done that at all. Maybe if it was when called Sonic's Panzoon Dragoon or whatever, Dragoon Panzer or whatever, it would, it would get released. And all you need is to put the word Sonic in front and you're good to go. Sonic <laughs> Panzer Dragoon this. Saga. Bam, instant sell. Yeah, if you ever see Panzer Dragoon Saga again, it will have to be a ground-up remake, you know, it'll have to be something they do from scratch and at this point, you know Team Andromeda itself is disbanded. Team Andromeda was dispersed over 10 years ago, and the teams it was dispersed into were dispersed years ago but according to Wikipedia, they're still around as Sega Sports Japan, best known for Mario and Sonic, you know Olympic titles. Oh, Oh, wow those are so awesome, my little brother came over the other day and popped that in my Wii, and, and I almost took a bat and beat him to a bloody pulp because it was so excruciating. So, I'm not yes, sure. We I don't know. Olympic but, games are always the best around because they are solely concerned with being good games and not with promoting the activity in any way at all. Yeah. See, that's one thing it's hard to really say is I don't know enough about the actual developers, the people that were at um, Team Andromeda but, you know, it says staff from them have moved on to form companies like Artoon and Field Plus, both of which, you know, Artoon was uh, part of the team that made, like, Blue Dragon. And yeah, and they did that, uh, that launch GBA And Hey, hey didn't know, Field Plus just make that great shooter? What was the name of it? Mindjack uh, uh, or something? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. They did Lost Odyssey though, so I'm not uh, I'm not banging yeah. them too hard. And yeah, I'm not going to go any further on that. The but, most enjoyment <laughs> I got out of Mindjack was watching all the all the video reviews slam it. <laughs> oh, Mr. Ass, you yes. played two Spy, so you probably yes, remember the Guardian Dragon. The what dragon? The Guardian Dragon. Uh, I think so. Okay, because I don't remember Toot Spy well at all, but apparently that boss was directly recycled for Saga when you see the Empire unearthing something that's trying to make into a weapon, and you have to fight it. I think I should remember that. that. Game uh, I don't. I wouldn't remember anyway because it's been even longer since I've played Panzer Dragon Two. Okay, well, apparently it, it, the Guardian Dragon did show up in both games. Here it shows up in uh, the middle of Disc 2. Okay. And it has its own unique battle, which is nothing new for this game. There's a ton of music 
especially since it's so short. Yeah. Yeah, for a and, short game, there's a ton of music. I mean, I've played, like, 80-hour RPGs that don't have as much variety of music as this game does. Yeah, Mr. Cunningham, what do you remember about the music for this game? Not much at all. Um, that's one thing I was trying to go back and listen to right before we started here, was to actually listen to, you know, the intro stuff on the on, in the actual game itself. But, you know, I don't... I don't remember much of it at all. I remember at the time enjoying it, but I, none of it has really stuck with me because I never had the OST for it officially. And uh, just, I don't know, I couldn't tell you even who composed it or if there was a specific composer. Well, the so. composers are Sayori Kobayashi and Mariko Nanba, who Sayori Kobayashi did Panzer Dragoon Orta and nothing else I can remember offhand of Noriko Nanba I can't remember anything else offhand either so the style of this like I said at the beginning is very Latin American instrument heavy very percussion heavy at times very otherworldly it does not sound like anything else I've heard and frequently the music is Unsettling. Jaw-dropping enough that you want to stand there and listen to it for a little while because it's yeah, that too. so well. It fits. It fits the game perfectly. Yeah, when you see this gigantic, um, something I haven't mentioned. Um, here's something we haven't mentioned. Uh, sometimes going around the random encounters you run into that you'd like randomly run into like mini bosses which are yeah, just like true. more difficult enemies than you'd normally face like I think uh, there's like a giant like sand like I don't know what I'm say like a sand devil ray or something like that the heck was it yeah it looks like a giant it's flat. hard to yeah that thing it's hard to describe it looks like something that would be on the bottom of the ocean, feeding, skimming things out of the water. Yes. And it it emits gigantic clouds of colored dust that is apparently supposed to be poison. And uh, yeah, that works. Yeah. And the guy you're with at the time, Gash, who I haven't even mentioned, <laughs> Gash is a fairly important character, mentions that this thing is smelly and disgusting, and he's. He really didn't want to have to fight it. Yeah, he was one of the best characters in the game. One of the battle tracks you'll hear a few times for bosses just sounds really, really intense. The percussion is very heavy and dominates the feeling you're going to get from this. One in particular, I remember, is the last thing you're going to fight from the Empire, which is the Annihilator. And there's only one safe spot you can hide in during that entire battle. And if you hide there long enough, then it will unleash some homing missiles at you. But if you don't hide there, you, then you can't do much damage. And its other weapons are pretty powerful, too. And it, it's one of the few things that is really going to hurt you unavoidably before you can take it down. And, of course, neither of you have played that part recently, so you don't remember it. But it truly is the Annihilator. <laughs> Well, all the bosses in the game are great, so I believe you. Yeah, the final bosses are 
you probably don't want me to talk about this yet because you haven't seen them, right, Mr. No, Hicks? maybe maybe we should talk about why I never completed the game. <laughs> yes, let's hear some details. Give us some story. Right, so, obviously, I only recently got my own copy of the game, but you know, I knew one other person that had a Sega Saturn who somehow managed to get a copy. Unfortunately, the copy he had his disc four was messed up so that near very near the end of the game it would always freeze. We tried it on different Saturns, we tried all kinds of different things, it would always freeze. So neither of us were ever able to actually complete the game. And unfortunately, neither of us got far enough in the game um until after Sega was done with the Saturn, so we couldn't even contact them to get a replacement copy. Uh, so, ouch. Yeah, it was it was awful. Well, I feel your pain. Yeah. Actually, actually, the first the battles in the final con- encounter do tie into one thing that is unique, your ability to morph the dragon per for its characteristics, and we haven't mentioned that yet. Wait, wait, I need to no, pause we're... right here so uh, I can insert Mighty Morphin Power Ranger music. Go, go, Power Rangers! <laughs> you Mighty Morphin Power Rangers! All right, who is everyone's it? favorite ranger right now? Uh, Did I just zone out for a second and come back into a totally different show? Because, wow, I was listening to an episode about Panzer Dragoon Saga, and now all of a sudden, you know, the whole world has turned upside down. You know, mine was totally the Blue Ranger, because Blue, because he was the smartest, you know. He just, he was acting a little timid at first, but as soon as the suit was on, he was all about business, man. It was all about business. Uh, I like Lord Zed, but I'm not going to talk about that. Let's. Uh, Rita was awesome. Rita was. Uh, she kicked butt. Hey, you know this is appropriate because that show was kind of on around the same time. It was, and I enjoyed it. This is not. This is not that much off topic. No, no, it's not. Dragons, Morphin, and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Yeah. It ties in all together. Justify it however you like. Wow. We're talking about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers for no reason I can understand. Huzzah! All right. No, I, if was... I was listening, I'd be tuning off right now. <laughs> okay, morphing the dragon. Changing the dragon's capability. First, you had to pull out your morpher, and you had to take your power coin, and I'm sorry. Go ahead. You were doing a great job of explaining it. <laughs> Well, essentially, it's just that you can switch the dragon's characteristics from the basic, well-rounded class to either focus on attack at the expense of magic abilities or vice versa, or focus on speed at the expense of defense and, again, vice versa. You can change your dragon's statistics to a pretty wide range with the morphing capability. Well, you can do you it know, any time outside of battle. You know something, apps, your whole relation to Final Fantasy thirteen starting to sound more and more relevant because that's yeah, kind of like I, you know, the paradigm shift in thirteen. I said no outside of battle. <laughs> Still, you know, the whole Still. concept of what they're doing Okay, yeah, maybe not, but still. <laughs> there there <laughs> are there are a lot of parallels between the two, but I don't want to keep going on that because I know how much people dislike 
Final Fantasy 13. Or and I don't like want to turn to on this game. <laughs> yes. But yes, like to dislike it. At the end of Ponzer Dragoon Saga, before you fight the true final boss, you fight one of each variant that is possible of the dragon. And... Yeah, that does get pretty intense, because especially the one with magical abilities will hammer you ceaselessly. And at least a couple of them actually morphed into stronger forms as I fought them, so you really need to kill them quickly before they become insanely powerful. (laughs) And then the final boss itself, well, it likes to toss... I don't even understand how this works from a physical standpoint, but it will somehow get things that you have seen elsewhere in the game and throw them at you through what look like warp zones. <laughs> you don't question the final boss. The final boss can do anything. That's one of the... So out know, will come tenets. the ship that you shot down earlier in the game in order to get into the tower, and the final boss will throw it onto you. Yeah. That's about standard fare. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it is pretty pretty darn weird. Yeah, I hope I hope this copy I bought doesn't also have a bug disc for. How awful would that be? That would Very. suck. Because just disc four probably costs at least sixty bucks for this game, probably more. Yeah. Ending, well, I can't discuss it too much for the benefit of Mr. Apps here, but it is not the standard happy ending, although Panzer Dragoon Orta seems to take a more hopeful tint on what happens at the end of this game. Because Orta is supposedly the child of Edge and Ozel. Uh, Did did either of you play Orta? No. I played it a little bit, and... It was, it was hard. Really hard. Yeah, that's yeah. what I remember. I couldn't get anywhere in in the game. Well, I had a friend who owned an Xbox at the time, and I figured, why not? I'm going to try this game out. And yeah, the it, Xbox visuals really did justice to the strange things you see in Panzer Dragoon World more than anything. And oh, absolutely. That game, and that game takes a tangent, which you hear a little bit about in this game. How. This is a cycle of a dragon coming along to ruin an empire that has risen from the ashes. This has happened twice before. It's happening again in this game, and it happens again in Orta. So there's a lot more that could be told if Sega ever went back to Panzer Dragoon in this world. Sega go back to a great property? Of course that'll happen. It's happened. Of course. I think it's happened. 
I guess I'm just better. That's yep. where you should be. It'll happen if the dragons start morphing into Sonic. Uh, yeah, and then the dragon will there you talk. Go, Sonic. And it will Sonic have a, content. There you go. And the dragon <laughs> will have a love affair with some human woman because uh, oh, that's no. all animals in Sega games do now, right? No, don't bring us down that road. <laughs> Please. I'm trying to take the shock away when it, if it happens. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to cry now. Sega. That's a pretty good take on the game, though. I think uh, it's uh, a very, very unique title, would you say, overall. Nothing's really even with the, you know, the relative similarities we're talking about with Final Fantasy Thirteen are very, very vague. Very, um, very vague. But still, you know, it, it's been a very original title and something that's not really been copied like a lot of other ones have. So I don't know if it's, you know, really the fact that it's so rare and a few people like us that actually own a copy enjoy it so much. But it's it not rare receive... in Japan. Well, yeah, I actually own the Japanese is... copy, and it was cheap. Ah, just in the Japanese copy costs 10 15 bucks if that. Yeah. Wow. It's just that we're talking about a game which Sega of America printed, I think, 20,000 copies total for and never reprinted anything. According to Wikipedia, yes, uh, I don't, yeah, never mind. <laughs> Sega released a second batch of 12,000 copies and then another 12,000 in late summer. Only 6,000 were first produced. Oh, my so, God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, and this like and this like the other last four games that Sega put out in 1998, it has uh, – it's odd. The translation is really, really good. Remember, Michael, the translation for Shining Force 3? That was actually really good. Other than the – I mean the voice acting was not. But We're the translation that was, yeah, was fairly competent, yes. But remember how the credits were all in Japanese? No, I do not. Okay, well, it's the same in Panzer Dragoon Saga. Sega couldn't be bothered to change all of the names into English, so it just puts the English credits at the end of the Japanese stuff. Uh. <laughs> you go, Sega. The end of Shining Force 3 is one of the most depressing things ever when I realized... That's because that... you haven't played Scenarios 2 and 3. I know, I know, but I'm, I'm just talking about back in the day, just knowing that I wasn't, at least at that point, Thinking, Plus, I'm that, never those, those last few, those last scenes after the Empire has marched into Espinia again. Well, guess what? Sega changed the tone of those lines to make it slightly less obvious that hey, Median being here means that the story isn't over. He's just going to run away <laughs> right now. I think we're slowly moving I, into another. I was about to say Sega so, bash session. So let's 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 bring this to the. To its conclusion, the, now, there's no question that this is a really, really good game, listening to you all uh, gush over it for almost an hour now. But the main question on all of our minds is, is it worth the asking price? So I'm going to give each one of you 60 seconds or so to tell us why you like the game so much, encapsulate your thoughts, and at the end, tell the listeners whether or not they should go run out and plunk down their hard-earned money so they can play this in the Sega Saturn that every single one of our listeners own. Let's start off with Mr. Minky. All right. Having just played this again, I can appreciate just how little 
fat there is to this game. It's very lean. That's why it's short. There's not a wasted moment in it. Not really. And again, you have never played anything quite like this, not, and not anything really remotely like it. And the fact that that's still true 13 years later means Sega Team Andromeda did something really, really right. And the fact that it's original does not necessarily mean it's good, but in this case, it does. Whether that's worth the price you're going to pay on eBay, I can't make that decision for you. I got lucky eight years ago, paid only $100 for a complete copy. You won't. You are unlikely to get that lucky nowadays, but I've played through it, I think, four times now, and I can easily play through it again because it is something unlike anything else and all the better for it. Okay. What do you think, Mr. Cunningham? Having bought it at retail, and I couldn't even tell you how much I paid for it or what Saturn Games retailed for back in the day, you know, $40, $50, $60, whatever it was, I'm very, very glad that I picked it up at that price because looking at it now, I don't think there's any amount of talk that could convince me to spend the hundreds of dollars that it now goes for. Um, You know, that said, I've played through it once, didn't have a real – strong desire to go back and play through it a second time, at least not at that time. I'm wanting to again now. I may change my mind after you know, another replay, because I do agree with Mike. That's one thing I do clearly remember is there was not a lot of fat. It wasn't just a real bloated game. You, you got the meat, you went through, and it was enjoyable. But to say it's worth that much, I don't know. <laughs> and Mr. Apps? Um... Well, let me put it the simplest way I can. There's two games, only two games I've ever paid more than $100 for. This and Suikoden 2, and I don't regret a single penny for either of those games. Um, I even bid, I think one time I bid 212 was outbid, and I would not have regretted paying that price either. It's just, you can't find another game like this. And unfortunately... If you really want to experience it, you're going to have to pay. Unless Sega miraculously comes around and re-releases it somehow. So I shouldn't, I probably shouldn't tell you that I bought Suikoden 2 for retail either? Retail no, you, you, you shouldn't. Okay, I won't, I won't tell you that. <laughs> that was the real joy of working back at EB back in the day. I loved that job back then. It's, well, you know, not the heart soulless company that GameStop has now made it become. But <laughs> I should say I had plenty of opportunities to buy Suikoden 2 at retail price. Just that I kind of came around to that series later on. So there's other things. I, there's other things I screwed up on. Like it said, with the uh, return policy they had there, I ended up returning copies of Ogre Battle, copies of Tactics Ogre. Uh, a lot of Atlas titles that now go for, you know, nearly $100. <laughs> so, yeah, I did return a lot of those games that wish I hadn't. So, oh well. Mm. Well, fair enough. And uh, while our audience ponders y'all's why sagacious words and whether or not they should rush right on over to eBay and make that purchasing decision, we'll entertain them with another tune and come back with a quick import corner.
today I'm talking about something called Theta, which is an is all in caps, which makes me think it's an acronym, but I don't really know what it stands for. Anyway, Theta is made by some of the same people behind the original Shining Force and Landstalker and Shining. <gasps> you can How tell have I never heard of this just by looking at the character designs. You look at these characters and you're going to go, "Hey, I know this artist." And the play style is sort of close to Shining Force, but it's a little bit different. Agility has no effect for one thing. Everybody, you, you move somebody, computer moves somebody. It's like chess. Whoop, whoop, whoop. All right, all right. Details about the game before you jump into it. what system, when did it come out? Right, I know it's an import. Is there a fan translation? It was actually released twice. The first time was on 94, in 94 on the Super Famicom, and that one does have a fan translation. Yes. Then it's got the Beta Remake. It actually has Remake on the cover for the Saturn in 96, which is why it seemed appropriate to talk about here. I played both versions. Gotcha. And the, the morality system is really what differentiates this from Shining Force combat. The combat itself, you look at it, you're going to go, hey, Nice combat animations. It looks and feels a lot like Shining Force in the actual battles, but when you get out of them, oh that's, my when, God. Holy that's when. Holy shnikes! <laughs> Sorry, that's I'm just now looking go. up the. I'm looking up screenshots of it, and yeah, this is like this is Shining Force. I'm like, um, how could it not be? Wow! Again, okay. some of the same Sorry. developers. Yeah. And I've, I've heard of the game, but I never really paid attention to it, so. Go ahead. The morality system, almost every mission, and this is why it's going to be a slightly difficult import, not too difficult because there are facts, but slightly, um, every mission has a requirement. You can either kill everything or you can try to fulfill the requirement, which might be just go for the boss, just stay out of combat for a little while, whatever that requirement may be. If you follow the requirement, then you're being lawful. If you try to kill everything, then you're being chaotic. And the characters that join you differ based on whatever path you're following, along with a few who stay the same. But here's the here's the big thing. If you go for the lawful path and suddenly decide that you want to just kill everything and be chaotic, people who join you when you were lawful will leave permanently. So beware of that. Uh, and there are multiple endings along with the multiple paths. There are no, there's a great deal of replay value here. I think there are five total endings in the Super Famicom version. Then in the remake, you get at least seven. They've added a couple. They've balanced some things. The combat graphics look a little different. And the remake also has some of the worst-looking animated cutscenes I've ever seen. The lip movements don't even match the characters properly. And sometimes almost nothing is moving on screen for long patches, and you're just hearing people talk. And voice acting is okay, but the visuals are atrocious. But the game itself is fine, and it's probably the best way to play it because the Saturn was good for having short load times, and it definitely achieves that. And as an interesting tactical title that feels like something Shining Force related but isn't quite, I can definitely recommend it. Either version, but the Saturn one is probably the best just for the added content. Hmm. I want to play this right now. <laughs> well, you've convinced at least one of our listeners, Mike. <laughs> oh, and both versions are pretty cheap. I got the Saturn one for 
two, three bucks plus shipping. And the Super Famicom version went for about the same. Going to eBay. Excuse me a moment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything else before we move on, Mr. Minky? No, I talked about Theta, and it does have a sequel, but I haven't played that, so I can't talk about it. Eight ninety nine for shipping. Oh, jeez. <laughs> what did I tell you? Well, well, thank you very much, Mike. I, I think I obviously you've made one person very happy today. <laughs> well, did, you know, like did, you, did that interest you at all? It does indeed. I have a hard time. I'm not like you all, and I have imported very, very few RPGs in my time with. Shining Force scenario, or Shining Force three scenarios, two and three being my first and most prominent uh, titles. The only two I ever actually imported and actually played through. So, while this does look tempting, I don't really have as much leisure time to play through imports as I would, as I once did. However, I would love to see this, you know, just the same as I would love to see another real Shining Force game. So. The company that made this is Yanomon, and I, aside from the Theta game, I think it mostly made Mahjong and other silly stuff that would never have a hope coming out of Japan, and it's apparently been dead for a long time, so the rights are up in limbo. Yep. Well, one, a shame. One of, uh, one of Mr. Minky's import corners we talked about last week or the week before, what was it, Shining Force Feather? I did get that in, by the way. Uh, Mike and gave that to the missus and she enjoyed the cutscenes and stuff. I don't know if she'll stick with it for a long run. I, I don't. I'm like Mr. Cunningham. I don't really do import games because I just got too many English games that I haven't gotten around to yet. But, yep. um, but um, I bought that one for Shirley because she does speak fluent Japanese, and um, it was a very excellent recommendation. So I thank you for that. Cool. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, so and, and orders. <laughs> That is another sad moment because that was the first tactical Shining Force game since Shining Force 3, and we didn't get it because Sega didn't think it was important enough. Uh, I actually heard they shopped it around to multiple publishers because they were not going to do it themselves but were asking so much for it that it was not worth most of the publishers' time. Or at least, you know, it, it wasn't justifiable for them to be able to do financially. Mm-hmm. So, I, just a little insider info. Why does that not sound surprising in the case of Sega at all? Hmm, I wonder if and, that's uh, what happened to a certain other... And uh, I was about game. to say, uh, it was also shopped along with Seventh Dragon, I'm afraid. Uh, so, uh, both of those were in that. <laughs> My heart just broke. As as well it should. Uh, so while you're finishing up your purchase there, Mr. Apps, and mending your broken heart together, we're going to take... Oh, the purchase is already done. It's all set. Oh, of course. What was I... First the Saturn one. Saturn one. We're going to take, take one more break, and we'll be right back and wrap this up with the final lap.
and a big thank you to everyone who took some time to write on our boards. Uh, we had a we had a couple of comments about our last backtrack, and I actually think these actually the comments I pulled was actually I think off the month end wrap up that we did. Yes, they were. Yes, yes. they were. <laughs> I guess Although we can always bring up the comments of uh, how awesome people think the saga games were. I'm sure Mr. Apps will second that immediately, right? Oh yeah. And some dude named Wheels on the forum really loved the Saga games. Did he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he's uh, he's supported ardently by one Gaijin Monogatari. Yeah, I, I think I remember seeing that username. <laughs> well, um, so yeah, we yeah the first one I guess the the first round of comments was for backtrack episode number thirty eight. The Saga begins where we were talking about the the Saga Frontier series and whatnot. And yes, uh, Mr. Wheels was very pleased with that podcast, from what I understand. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Bunch of, Bunch of <laughs> Final Fantasy Legend Three haters. Hey, hey, hey! I'd love hey, to. Hey, you haven't even listened to it yet. You just admitted that earlier. Yeah. I did, but I know enough to know that if Gudgeon and Wheels were on there, that they're Final Fantasy Legend Three haters. Uh, I, know, Nick's, I know both of you. Oh, jeez. Nick said, this might easily be one of my favorite episodes. This is a series I never got a chance to play, and the only experience I have with Saga is Saga Frontier 1 and 2, and what little I played of Unlimited Saga. I love the musical selections, and it <laughs> seems like this series has a lot of real lovers or haters with no in-betweens. I came out of this discussion very intrigued, and there was a lot of amazing insight here as to why this may be this, uh, this series may be a touch misunderstood. Would I like these games if I liked Saga Frontier? here yes there you go and <laughs> also gaijin sounds like max sometimes in this podcast this amused me very much i need to listen to this one tomorrow then i will definitely have to make sure i get this <laughs> so i can tell you how wrong you all are <laughs> yeah, i was surprised that you didn't come along and proclaim how dare you dump on final fantasy legend 3 i know better than you uh, I don't love it that much. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you have three children and you're not really a big fan of either of, any of the three, but you have one that you can kind of tolerate more than the rest, then, you know, that's kind of how I felt. <laughs> that explains anything. A Mr. Outtake from our last episode. A Mr. Wheels wrote on the boards and he said, Max Storm must not have listened as he hasn't complained about the FFL3 bashing yet. <laughs> Till now. Bunch of Till now. <laughs> oh, and Mr. Cunningham, Nekobasu was also on that one. Uh, did he continue to bash the game as well? I think he did. Though not as strongly as Mr. Apps or Mr. Baker. Um, uh, Twin uh, Bahamut said, I haven't listened to it uh, in full just yet, but if there was FFL3 bashing, then it was unfair and full of lies. I mentioned that I need to play FFL 1 and 2 more in particular because FFL 3 was the only one I've seen the ending of, and it's clearly the best of the trilogy. This Wheels fellow came along and said, filthy lies. (laughs) He knows what he's talking about. I'll have to say this much. This looks like a podcast for 
our staff because <laughs> that's the only people that came out now, to really now, comment. Now that's not that's not fair, Mac, because Kata Allen, which I'm pretty sure is okay. not a staff member, said I played FFL one through three all quite a bit. While I liked the first two games, they had a lot of feature that I now consider frustrating. I like the third game a bit less. Okay. Almost very random battles seem slow. In the last decade or so, I played FFL games just a little, fifteen or thirty minutes at a time. The original cards still work, but they're not currently all that compelling. I've heard no indication that Square Enix intends to translate the DS remakes of FFL 2 and 3. I suspect the company didn't think it'd be worth the expense. DS software sales have been decreasing, and it's distressing just how many fans choose to emulate or use flashcards. I wonder if there's any chance that the remakes will be optimized for the 3DS and professionally translate it. Well, at least one of the two has a full fan translation. The other one is in the works. There you go. Kawazu fans all over the world unite. <laughs> yes. Um, and then Lord Kaiser stepped in and said, I hope to see Square Enix release it on the PSN, talking about the. I think that's talking about the remake. Um, I have no uh, idea PSN? what Lord Kaiser is talking about. I don't know. I hope it's about talking the remake. Talking about Saga Frontier. Saga Frontier. Maybe Saga Frontier. Yeah, it's just yeah. completely inappropriate because we didn't talk about that. That's Saga right. Frontier. We didn't talk about it. Not at all. Yeah. We need an episode about those and then Unlimited Saga, wherein I can try and explain how to play that game. Yeah, actually, I, actually, I don't think the recording software can actually go on that long, though. I was yeah, about to say, not. I hope you have a day or two. Yeah, I'd have to free up, I think, about two or three terabytes for that. Um, so, I don't know. I don't know. And then we had uh, we had some comments for uh, episode number thirty nine because usually at the end of every month we do a, a month in wrap up where we do a PC pit stop, uh, maybe uh, a blast from the recent past and whatnot. And it was I think uh, me and Mister who was it was it you apps yeah it was you? me yeah it was you and I talking a lot we about that. we recorded that right after the uh, saga episode yeah yeah so that was a long night of recording um oka taka sensitsu or whatever his name is says so weekend ds was an all right game i didn't care for the voice acting because uh with most of the games i can read faster than the characters can talk the overall game i found too slow compared to a console so we could end i didn't get the good ending because i was too lazy to get all the characters because it just took too long to get everywhere i rushed through the game and decided it was my least favorite so we could end i actually like so we could end four after giving it a second chance and clearing the first dungeon what oh my god is this is this Umbra? Is, you know, speaking in tier craze, actually, the main character speaks so fast that it's really hard to read faster than he speaks. Yeah. What are you talking about? Is not coming that fast? You never never would try. Uh, I, I can't see people calling that yeah. game slow either, because I mean, the, the the battles are super quick, and you don't have loading times like some of the later PS2 Suikoden suffered from. So, I'm not really sure what he's talking about. You never know unless you try. Um, he said, I began sailing around recruiting characters and just having a good time, and Suikoden Tactics was amazing, painting the battlefield with elements. Never been done before. Then there's a whole bunch of characters recruiting grind up. The best tactical RPG ever. Well, what the? This must be what's-his-name. What's-his-name that we talk about all the time? No, the poster, that post all the time that we love so much, that post like the opposite of what he should. Oh, I can't remember his name now. Ombrace writes, this was a really interesting backtrack. Some of the games, I was wondering uh, if they were good. It seems so. I, like, I'd never been to Steam. I might check it out this weekend. I was wondering what the ending music was at the end of the cast. You know what? I'm wondering, too. Because I just, I never pay attention when I slap one. Do these things so fast. But, uh, you know, absolutely, Steam. If you've got a PC uh, and you don't have Steam, you're, you're totally missing out. Because that's pretty much how 
most of the game I is think working you used something century. from Suicide and Tear Phrase, but I don't remember the track title. It's got a good soundtrack to it. Yeah, just YouTube. It, it, that's probably what I did too. If you just go to YouTube and put in Suicide or Suicide and Tigris, um, I just usually go to YouTube and just pull the soundtracks off of some of the um, um, the OST uh, tracks that they put on that they upload to YouTube, and I just record them right off the site. It's beautiful. So that's all for the cons for today. Feel free to write your own comments about this show and anything else that might pop into your mind about old RPGs. You can do that at um, board.rpgamer.com. We love to read those comments. And you can even ask questions for our next podcast. We're going to be talking about Xenosaga episodes 1, 2, and 3. Um, we will not talk oh about what was it episode 5 because that is enough to supply an entire backtrack on its own. Even though that's not technically the same episode five, but yes, episode five. What? Xenogears. Xenogears. Oh, oh, oh! No, you know what? I don't. If you're know. going by the Perfect Works, which came out after Xenogears, which is technically a totally different series than Xenosaga, but yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, but it's they, they both have Zohar things, right? Yeah, that's that's a story for next time, Mr. Cunningham. Oh, yeah. Yes, sir. I thank you for being on the show. Is there anything you would like to share with the audience before we sign off this evening? Just want to thank you for having me. And again, thanks to Phil and Mike for continuing on this legacy that uh, Jonathan, Self, and I created and forged in the fires of Mount Doom (laughs) back in whatever year we started. So thank you all for taking the reins and doing such a good job. It's because you forged in the fires of Mount Doom that we can't undo it. We'd have to go back to Mount Doom. (laughs) I know. Yes. That sounds like too much work. Well, as always, the a lot of walking. <laughs> as always, the pleasure is always ours. Mr. Apps, is there anything you would like to share with the audience? Uh, as always, it's a blast to be on here, and people should check out Panzer Dragoon. Uh, you can always check out the cheaper games if you've never played anything in the series. Yeah, if you have an Xbox, then try Orta, because yeah. it's hard. It's a really good shooter. And it's also got the first one in it, so there you go. Of course, I always thank my good friend and co-host, Mr. Mike Meeky, for helping to put this together. Absolutely great skit that y'all heard was was uh, due to his diligent effort in writing that and putting that together. Thank you, Mr. Meeky. You're welcome. And uh, and you know I want to uh, I want to do a little quick plug if if any of our members get a chance uh, if you're into old RPGs um, you got some backtrack ideas you just want to chit chat with me about some of the old shows look me up on the board send me a private message at board.rpgamer.com or if you like to talk about pen and paper because lately I'm playing lots of Pathfinder and doing lots of discussions on that so um, I like to chit chat on the boards or look us up on IRC um, I try to hang out RP gamer as much as I can so I like to chit chat and meet the audience and. And talk a lot about RPGs. Anyways, to our audience, we thank you for listening to us here at RPG Backtrack. As always, you're the reason we do this. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, articles, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com and help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer and become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. As always, listen to our previous podcast as well as our awesome sister shows, RPG Cast and RPG Sanctum, at rpgamer.com. Mr. Minkus, Mr. Minkus, <laughs> Mr. Minky, please. I've heard that in classrooms before. It's nothing new. Please take us home. 
Sega has done its best to forget about the Saturn in the last decade plus. Team Andromeda was disbanded around the same time that the Saturn died, and the source code that could have allowed a remake is long lost. Sega missing a beat is nothing new, but leaving something that stands tall with the best RPGs of any era stranded on the Saturn is... Actually, again, that's nothing new. I encourage everyone to play it regardless, but the price won't be pretty.